This morning's message or title is not my own, as those who are here on a regular basis know. I, 99% of the time, take my titles for my messages right from the Word of God. I think it's a better source than anything I could think up in my brain. And we find in verse 37 that there was a question that was asked, and it was this, what shall we do? And that is what the question is this morning. I want to give you, though we time, I have to be a little careful with the historical background here this morning, but I think it's so important for us to understand what we're dealing with here in our context because many years have come and many years have gone since Jesus Christ has been on the scene. There were many years before he ever came. But what has transacted to lead to this point where people are asking the question, what shall we do? Well, let me start very briefly with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has left his throne above for which he was with the Father from eternity past. As he looked on man, he found that there were none righteous, no, not one, according to the Psalms and according to our New Testament. But God so loved us that he sent his Son. And Jesus Christ came into the world. The Word was made flesh. That which was not common to God, flesh and blood, he took on himself and made common to him out of his love for us. We know our flesh and blood is weak. We know our person is weak. And the older we get, the more we discover that. Nevertheless, God left eternity past and came into the world that he had created. And then Jesus Christ came unto his own, and his own received him not. He dwelt among men. We celebrate at Christmas time with many songs that are very common, probably to all of you, whether you're visiting or not. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. We know that he was born in Bethlehem. We know the Christmas story. Mary, a virgin, took him in. By this time, in Acts chapter 2, Jesus Christ has come. He has been crucified. That was not uncommon. Many people were crucified. Many believers for their faith were crucified. He had also been resurrected from the dead by this stage. Something that's got insurmountable evidence, though today still is doubted by man. If we had the evidence that people have had for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for anything else, a court would make it so obvious that it was true. For example, at the time of the writing of Scripture, he mentions that 500 people who had witnessed him after his resurrection most of who were still alive when the scriptures were recorded knew that Jesus Christ was seen after his death. He had spent 40 days, according to Acts chapter 1, which is not too far from our text, among his disciples and apostles, still ministering, still carrying on a ministry. And he had promised them in chapter 1 that not too long from now the Holy Spirit is going to come in a different capacity, not that the Holy Spirit had not been here. Right back to Genesis, the Spirit of God moved among the waters. The Spirit of God has always been here. But he was coming in a different capacity because he would enable, he would empower, he would come into, he would make his home among, within, believers. And that would come. And then he left at the Mount of Olives and he went back to his Heavenly Father, having accomplished that which he was set here to do. In fact, on the cross, when he was crucified, 
one of the last things he said is, it is finished. My work is done. It is over. What had happened? He had satisfied the penalty and price for sin. Though men, some men, few men, do not want to believe that there's sin in their life or in the world, and I, I would say that someone like that has got their head buried because you cannot pick up a newspaper, you cannot go to an internet server, you cannot go to a TV set, you cannot observe the world that you're living in without seeing the sin that is here. All men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That carries a penalty. The wages of sin is death. We will experience physical death. We know that. We don't want to talk about it, but we know it. But also we have experienced separation from God. That is why Adam and Eve had to be cast out of the Garden of Eden. That's not just some nice story. Because of the holy nature of God, who is perfect and holy, when man sinned, he could no longer be in the presence of God. Well, there's a debt to be paid. Just like when you have a credit card debt. Somebody has to pay it. We try to pay it. Hopefully we do. But wouldn't it be great if somebody paid it for us or paid off your mortgage? Jesus Christ satisfied the righteousness of God by paying and satisfying the demands on sin in his own body there on the tree. And his work was done. Now he went back to be with the Father. At this stage, Romans had basically crucified another person. Nothing uncommon. Another leader of another group who's raised up a following disposed of, as far as they were concerned. The crowds had quieted. They were happy. They went back to their normal life, soldiering, carrying on their business. The Jews were relieved. This had been a man who came on the scene who didn't fit their idea of what the Messiah was supposed to be like. The Messiah was the promised one of God. God had promised that one day he would send someone into this world who would be the Christ, the anointed one of the one true God, who would come into this world to satisfy the just demands on sin, thus paying that penalty I just talked about. They didn't see him that way because they wanted a ruler to come in to overpower Rome, to free them, if you will, from the burden that Rome had around them. Jesus Christ didn't fit that category as far as they were concerned. And so they called out for his crucifixion rather than even have one of the most despicable men kept in prison. They wanted him released and by the name of Barabbas. But not Jesus Christ, an innocent man, crucify him. And he was crucified. So to them, relief. Interestingly enough, now they're back to their routine, which is what? A lot of church, a lot of temple, a lot of religious works, and still looking for the Messiah, still looking today as a national entity still, though some of them have come to Christ, still looking for that Messiah to come and back to business they go. He's done with. The disciples of Jesus Christ, they had spent time with him. They had witnessed many miracles. They had seen, they had listened to him. They had the best itinerant teacher that any human being could ever have. 
instructing them day after day about who God is and how they can have a good relationship and a proper relationship and the only relationship with the only one true God. And now their leader has been crucified. They had chosen a replacement for Judas. Judas had betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Acts, they had chosen their replacements. And what were they doing? Well, since they were promised the Holy Spirit, they were waiting and they were together and they were praying for that promise because they believed what Jesus Christ had said, that one day while he was going back, he was going to return, by the way. And as you notice, it didn't happen yesterday. He was going to return. And in coming back, he also said, while I'm gone, I will send that Holy Spirit in that capacity that I just shared with you so that you will be empowered to talk about what Christians talked about so that we wouldn't just stand inside these four walls but go out here and give the joy to the world of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So they're fellowshipping together. So people have kind of gone back to things. And what happened? The Holy Spirit did come. And he came in the capacity just like the Lord Jesus Christ had said he would. And when he did, people needed evidence that that was really the case. And so what amazingly happened, as we come to the second chapter of the book of Acts, is what happened, people who had never studied different dialects and languages of, the, of other people, all of a sudden began to speak very clearly the wonderful things of God in known languages. It says it very clearly in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And the people marveled. So would you. So would I. If you happen to be here today and know a foreign language and you were sitting next to somebody that you knew had never studied that and they started speaking fluently to you in your own language, I would say that you would probably have your mouth drop. And so they're amazed. Here we have people who have come because of an special occasion and they're gathered together and here now they're hearing the wonderful things of God by people who didn't know these languages. And so they're wondering what in the world is going on Chapter 2 now, verse 13, and it gets to the point that people say, I know what it is, they're drunk. Look at verse 13. But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. They stayed up a little too late. They had a little bit too much to drink. Watch out. That's what they were saying. And that leads to one of the most marvelous people that God saved, though anyone that he saves, it's a marvelous thing and an unbelievable message. Because Peter, who had just denied the Lord three times recently, as most people know, then confronted by the resurrected Savior, expressed his love. That weak, cowardly man, with boldness in the midst of the people that he had cowered from not too long ago, stands up and he said, I will tell you what has happened. And we have this marvelous scene in Acts chapter 2. And beginning in verse 16, he gives an amazing message. And I just want to highlight a couple of things that he says. You'll notice he's speaking to the Israelites in verse 22. I want to go there because I don't want you to mistake this. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. There is no question who he's talking about. It is Jesus the Nazarene. It is Jesus the one who came from Nazareth. It is Jesus the one that was born in Bethlehem. It is this man that I'm talking about, verse 23. This man, watch this, delivered by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, 
God knew that they were unrighteous. And in God's eternal plan, since He created the world, He knew the only way that man could be restored. And that was for Him to come Himself and do it. And so the second person of the triune Godhead came, Jesus Christ. Predetermined plan of God. But notice, He says, You, specifically speaking to the Jews in the context, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But, verse 24, God raised him up again, putting an end to the glory of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Why? He created everything. He is the author of life. He is the author not only of physical life, but eternal life. They couldn't keep him in the grave. They had soldiers outside there. They had a stone that had been rolled in the way. It wouldn't matter what they had done. This is God, very God, who's coming forth from the grave. But they did crucify him. And he goes on to point out, now down to verse 36 in our context, that I want you to know of certain that God has made this man. He's made him who? Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. What? Both Lord and Christ. He is the anointed one. And he tells them, I want you to know, you crucified him and you're going about your business. This was part of God's plan. Because that one and only that one is the crucified Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now, what did that cause? It caused the response. They were stunned. Can you imagine the audience? They've gone back. And all of a sudden now, they think everything's quieted, and now the Holy Spirit comes and everything's excited, and people are speaking in languages. What's going on? They must be drunk. They're not drunk. Let me tell you what happened. The promise of the Holy Spirit has come. Here's what's happened. Jesus Christ was crucified, and guess what? He was the Messiah. And they are stunned. In fact, they are stabbed. It says pierced. It's literally they are stabbed right in the inner man. Why? They know they called for his crucifixion. They know what they did. And by the way, let me pause for a second here. I can't see any of your hearts. But you know what? You can. And even better than that, God can. And he knows what's going on in the secret places. He knows what's going on in your thought process. He knows the sin that is there that we don't like to talk about in the 21st century. And they knew it. And when they heard the truth, it stabbed them right in the heart. And what did it result in? Their response, which is our question. What shall we do? And I want to challenge you that that is something this morning that through the centuries, whether it's asked out loud or not, is something that men want to know. Men want to know whether there's anything beyond the grave. They want to know whether there is a true God. They want to know whether they can have a right relationship with God. And they know in their hearts, as hard as you try, you never have the assurance of whether or not based on what you do, and I'll come back to that, you've ever satisfied God. And so they want to know, how do I get right with God? In case you think that's the only place 
that you find it is here. Let me just give you a couple of quick things. Matthew chapter 9, you saw that a moment ago with the text in Luke. But in Matthew chapter 19, I'm just going to read a couple of things. I want you to see that it's a common question. In this particular case, it's religious people. In Matthew 19, 16, it's the same thing as you found in Luke. Listen to this. This was the rich young ruler. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do to obtain eternal life? It's a common question. And by the way, in case you missed it, in that responsive reading, the whole point is not just go sell everything you have. And I'll be honest with you, churches have misused that to get people's money and so forth. No question about it. That's not what he's talking about there. This guy thought he was good. He thought he kept the Ten Commandments. God cut right through because, you know what? While he was rich, it was the money that had him. And he didn't see the idolatry in his own heart. And so Jesus Christ, that's why he turned him back to that, because he knew that he couldn't part with that. And he really needed to have his heart right in the inner man. But he asked that question. How about people of intelligence that maybe really have all kinds of degrees? Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Just a couple more quick verses. I want you to hear this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, listen. And a lawyer, that's a pretty smart person, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying what? Teacher, what shall I do? to inherit eternal life. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. How about the common folk? Well, this guy was not an officer. This guy was not up there in the ranks too high. This guy wasn't a lawyer. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't a religious man. But in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, this guy who is a jailer and has the responsibility to watch over life of the prisoners, watch what happens here. This is after an incident that happens with in Philippi. Let me just get to the jailer. Watch this, verse 30. And after he brought them out, noticing they were in the prison, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what I'm saying to you, I could go on and on. Throughout Scripture, we find, and in our lives, we find, when we're alone, that's in our heart. What have I got to do to be right with God? What have I got to do to get eternal life? What have I got to do to be saved? Why? Because most men do see that if they're honest, we're evil. We are sinners. Though our society drills in our heart and mind that men are basically good. Listen, we can do some good things. But even sometimes when we do those quote-unquote good things, we do them with the wrong motives. And the only one that sees that is God. But people want to know. So what's going to be his response? And by the way, I want you to see one more text. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, quickly. A day is going to come in which many people will stand before God. And I want you to open your ears up. I don't, you know, some of you I may never see again, whatever. But listen, open your ears wide right now because this is a sad text. One day, many people will stand before the one true God and will be in this category. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, 
but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Watch this. Many, not some, many will say to me on that day, now watch this, Lord, Lord, did we, didn't we, right? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? And in your name, watch, cast out demons. And in your name, watch, perform many miracles. What are they saying? We did as many good works as possible. We even prophesied. We cast out demons. And we did it in the name of your name. We did religiously. We tried to be as good as we could do. Look at our track record. And what a frightening statement in the very next verse. And then he declared to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And what's happened is they will be cast out of God's presence for all eternity and eventually end up in the lake of fire. Why? Because they're basing everything upon their works. What they did. What they think they did. And what they did in the name of religion or the name of God. Go back to Acts chapter 2. I want you to see that when they ask this question, Peter doesn't say to them, go to church. Peter doesn't say to them, do the best you can. Peter doesn't say to them, pray to other saints. Peter doesn't say to them, don't worry, your ancestry helps you. He says to them, repent. Turn about. Why? Because salvation, my friend, doesn't come by good works. Today, you all witness baptisms. And I'll talk about that in just a second. There isn't a single sacrament that ever gets a person to heaven. Baptism saves nobody. It didn't save those people today. Communion doesn't save anybody. Saying prayers doesn't save anybody. Coming to Fellowship Bible Church doesn't save anybody. Going to any other church on the face of the world doesn't save anybody. And people have the mindset, I did, for those of you that are not familiar with me, I grew up in this neighborhood, which is very unusual that I'm preaching in this neighborhood. But I grew up, went to St. Patrick's School in Lawrence, graduated from Central Catholic in, in Lawrence. I grew up, I knew these things. I believed, listen carefully, I believed that Jesus Christ had come. I believed he had died on the cross. I believed he had resurrected from the dead. But really the concept was that he opened the gates of heaven so now my good works, if they were on a scale, could get me into heaven. That's not the way it works. I just demonstrated that to you. People want to think they can do it by works. There is no religion on the face of the earth that can do anything. And you can't, nor can I. And this repentance has to do with the change. It means to change. It's not just turning over a new leaf. It's changing our thinking that we could do anything. There is only one work to do. Turn with me to John chapter 6. This is what's involved with that repentance. I want you to see it from God. In John chapter 6, look at verses 28 and 29. It is hard to come to this place as a human being. We all think that if our life... 
think about it this way. What a tragedy. Wouldn't it be to die and just hope that you've got enough good works on the scale to get you in and never know him? What a tragedy. When God says that you can know that you can have eternal life if you've put faith in Christ. In John chapter 6, he tells us, look at this, verses 28 and 29. Therefore they said to him, here it is again, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? What was Jesus Christ's response? Look at verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. What is it? That you, this is called faith, believe in him whom he hath sent. That simply put, folks, is faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone. Because of the grace alone on the part of God. You don't need to turn there, but I wanted you to read. I want to read to you Isaiah 43, just very quickly, one verse, two verses. Listen carefully to what it says there in Isaiah 43. In case you think this is just, you know, the Old Testament was one thing, New Testament is something else. Really? Listen to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. Speaking to the Jews, he said, You're my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand. Now listen, I am he. Before me there was no God formed. There will be none after me. And don't miss this verse. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior beside me. God's the only Savior. God's the only Savior. That's why he said to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace are you saved by faith. And that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans chapter 3 says that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. There is nothing that we can accumulate. And so he calls them to repent, to have a change of heart, to realize that they can't save themselves. Why? I won't turn you there, but let me mention to you what it says in Matthew chapter 15. It says it's not which goes into the man that defiles a man. It's which comes out of the man because in the heart, listen carefully, in the heart are adulteries, murder, thieves, thievery, and on and on and on it goes. That's why you don't have to go out and commit the overt act of murdering somebody. If you've hated somebody, you're guilty before God. You don't have to go out and commit adultery. If you've looked on another person and lusted after them, you committed it already in your heart. How are you going to take care of that? You can't. And neither can I. A couple of the candidates professed John 3.16. Why? Listen carefully. For God so loved the world that he gave, free gift, his only, that's unique, Begotten Son, His Son. Why? That so whosoever believeth in Him, that's faith, should not perish, but have eternal life. There is nothing there about baptism, nothing there about good works, nothing there about anything. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. That includes me, 
It includes you. It includes everyone that's ever been born or will be born. No one comes unto the Father except it be through me. Why? Because there's only one mediator between God and man. Who is that? The man, Christ Jesus, who God sent. There's no other go-between. You don't need a minister. You don't need another relative. You don't need a rabbi. You don't need a priest. The only one we need is the one true high priest, and that's Jesus Christ, who did intercede for us on the cross of Calvary. You need to see one other thing. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. You know, I knew this story as a boy, but I never looked closely at it. In Luke chapter 23, I want you to see this, that it's not of works. When Jesus Christ was crucified, many know that there were two others that were crucified with him. And in verse 39, I want you to notice this. One of the criminals, I don't have the time this morning, but I will tell you this, oftentimes it's missed. Both of the criminals laughed and scorned at him, not just one, when you compare the text. However, one of them continued to scorn at him. The other had a change of heart, and that's what you're reading here. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him. Are you not the Christ? Well, then save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked and said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And watch this. And we indeed are suffering justly. They were murderers. They were robbers. They had it coming. For we are receiving what we deserve. And I will say to you this morning, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, apart from your own goodness, you will find yourself in this same category that you will get what you deserved, just like we saw in Matthew chapter 7. But you notice this one has a change because it says, but this man has done nothing wrong, referring to Jesus Christ. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. How is it that this guy, who's a criminal, who's a murderer, is going to heaven <coughs> to be with Jesus Christ in that day? He didn't get down and get baptized. He didn't go take of communion. He didn't go walk anybody across the street. He wasn't good to his neighbor. He knew what he had coming. The only reason Jesus Christ could say that because the basis of salvation has always been, shall ever be the same. By faith in the person, the Jesus, uh, per, person of Jesus Christ. And his faith was placed in Christ. My friend, don't be a fool. It is that. And when you go back to Acts chapter 2, then where does baptism fit in? You witnessed it today. In verse 38, it says, Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. The concept there is it's because of what they have just professed. Baptism follows. I was baptized as an infant. I never remembered anything. No, and that, just to be serious, you know, the, the reality is, why do we wait? We wait to they make sure they know what they're doing. Because a person has to come by faith to Jesus Christ by themselves. And then baptism should follow. Why? Because they've been given the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, which comes today for all believers 
which was what set it off in Acts chapter 2 in the first place. What are we saying? Some of you are saying, I've been here long enough. What we're saying to you this morning is there is no other way to heaven. You know what? You heard me say it earlier. I don't care who the youngest person is in this room or the oldest person. You know death is coming. And you don't even want to think about it. And you can be bold and say, you know, I'm not afraid of death. Maybe. Maybe because you don't understand. Are you sure that you know the one true living God? You say, well, I don't even know if he exists. You're going to wait till after death to find out? My friend, you'll find yourself in hell. You'll find yourself in the same predicament that we read in Acts in Matthew chapter 7. That when you stand before God, you'll try to say, but look at what I did on earth. And God's going to say, but I never knew you. There was no relationship. If you wanted to do anything, I gave you the instruction. The one good work is believe in my son. Why do you think God would go through the effort of sending Jesus Christ into this world if there was any other way to get to heaven? There isn't. If there was any other way to get forgiveness of sins, there isn't. The only way is through Jesus Christ, through faith in him. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us the message, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Why do I need to be saved? Because of my sin. Because death will come and then the scriptures tell us it is appointed unto men once to die and then comes the judgment. And there are those who have already gone to the grave who thought they could handle it on their own who have now faced death and faced the reality of seeing the judgment comes. Don't be a fool. I'm so thankful we have the truth of God. You know, there's so much going on in the world around us. I'm sure most of you are aware because it was all over the news and everything happened. I made a little joke about it and really shouldn't speak lightly of those things. But yesterday there was a prediction of doomsday and so forth and so on. I'm so thankful because I got a phone call on it and had to ask. I'm so thankful I can turn to this book and find the truth. And so can you. That was challenged of me. I grew up with a Bible in my home. I grew up in high school studying the Bible. I grew up knowing many of the verses, but I had never looked at them closely. I just accepted religion for what it was, religion. My friend, don't let the day go by without you checking what I've just said to you because you have now been exposed to the truth and you are held responsible for it. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no second chance after, after death. There is none. It is only now that you have the opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why that message was given. What must I do? Accept God's gracious gift of salvation as presented in Jesus Christ and you will have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for those who have come forward and been baptized not for salvation, but because of salvation. Because of their forgiveness of sins. Because they have come to realize that Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. Thank you for the many in this room that have known Jesus Christ 
But I pray that you'd help us all to remember the cost. Help us to remember that you loved us first. And Father, might we demonstrate that love by walking in newness of light. So often we fail. We often look to the unbeliever even in moments like this and forget that we need to examine our own personal walk. Lord, help it to be one that is worthy of the name by which we profess. And Father, for those who have come here today and maybe have heard this for the first time and maybe right now are resisting, we know that only you can speak to the hearts of men. But I pray that you'd open up hearts to help them to see that there is not a religion on the face of the earth, there's not a person on the face of the earth, there's not an activity that they can do to restore a right relationship with God other than to do the work of trusting in Jesus Christ. Not that it's a work on their own behalf, but Father, by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, who was the perfect sacrifice, who was the Messiah sent by you, and who will indeed come again. Might they place their faith in him today, right here, realizing they can't even guarantee tomorrow. And Father, I pray that as you work in hearts, that they would come to trust in Christ and know you in a personal way. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.